Hello, Coffee and Catholics crew. This is Stacy, one of your hosts. Before we start today's episode, we did want to put a disclaimer that this is an episode on mental health, and there might be some triggering things in here. So, and it's also a leakthier episode. Um, we were talking about all of our journeys through this, and it's the first part of a three-part series. And so we really thought that some of the points that we discussed in here were important enough to have this longer episode. So we just wanted to warn you about possible triggers and the length before you got started today. May the Holy Spirit be with you as you listen. Hello and welcome to Coffee and Catholics, a Catholic women's talk show podcast. I'm Stacy, one of your hosts, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Alicia. I'm Annie. And I'm Lauren. Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Catholics. This week, we are going to be starting a three-part series on mental health. And today, we are going to be talking about what struggles we've personally had just kind of talking about this in general for this episode. Um, we also want to disclaim that we are not healthcare professionals. Um, I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to um, actually read this quote from the uh, National Catholic Partnership on Disability that I'm getting off of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati's website. Um, and says the stigma attached to mental illness forces many to hide the severity of their symptoms or those of a loved one. And many stop coming to church due to the stigma. Stigma is the single greatest barrier to people getting effective treatment. And, include, and continuing with that, um, this, is out, this is just general information that's on the website, not part of that quote. But it says... Um, Often people suffer silently due to the stigma that is affiliated with a mental health diagnosis. Mental health, uh, mental illness is not often addressed by the Catholic Church, but we are called by Jesus to recognize those who are suffering in our midst and to accompany them on their journey. And we really liked that little part here because that's one thing that we have continuously said on here on our podcast is that that journeying with others, and so we kind of this is kind of the lens that we're going to be looking at that tonight. And part of how we want to do that is to just be so so vulnerable with you guys, as we've always been, about our own issues with mental health. Unless um, you think that the people that are sitting behind this microphone um, don't have their own personal struggles with this as well in their histories or even presently. Um, and so in that vein, I'll just start kind of sharing a little bit about where I've been with mental health and where um, I began to see struggles as I became a mother. Looking back on my history, given my history, given the long line of destruction I left in my 20s, I can see that there were issues coming up in my mental health, even in my childhood, um, with anxiety and with fear and with shame. Um, shame is a big part of that. It can trigger and make mental health, mental health far worse than it would have, or mental health struggles worse than, it, than, it, than they could have been. And I struggled with a lot of shame um, in my childhood. And so I, I see all of those markers that were setting me up for what I would begin to struggle with um, really acutely in my 30s. But my personal struggle with anxiety and what I now know um, really was probably postpartum depression that manifested as really intense rage and irritation and anxiety um, after I really, and it, this really didn't even start until my daughter was like 10 months old. I have had no issues with during my pregnancies with those types of behaviors. But having educated myself, I realized that I was really experiencing the effects of postpartum depression with my daughter that continued, but didn't start until she was much older. And then also with my son, um, 
it became acute again. And that's when I really began to get to get some help and to try and figure out how I could mitigate that. And that was a catalyst for also a lot of spiritual growth that happened, really coming to the end of myself and realizing that um, this this anxiety, this constant um, sense of urgency that something was going to happen or something bad was going to happen. I used to have a lot of very intrusive thoughts. And I even in the last year, those have come back, um, which I've had to struggle with this year. A lot of intrusive thoughts. And what I mean by that, I know we hear these buzzwords all the time, right? But what, is, what does that mean, intrusive thoughts? Well, it really depends on your brain. <laughs> like, um, when the random thoughts that you have about destruction or something happening to you or violence or someone taking your children or someone doing something to you or not having what you need to survive begin to disrupt your daily life. That's when we have a problem. I would have, um, I'd be driving on the road and I still have this to this day. This happens to me sometimes. And, you know, this is not easy to talk about. It's not something that I would just like talk about over lunch with a friend because there is a stigma about people who have thoughts that come out of nowhere that are weird or devastating, or even in some cases perverse. That has not been my experience, but I have friends who have had these random thoughts come into their head that are of a of vile nature. Mine have always been that there would be violence done to me. Like I'll, I will be driving down a street and I will see our car flip and get into an accident and it will be very vivid there will be, you know, there will be blood, there will be glass flying, it will be hitting people's faces. I will see it in my mind, the entire thing play out, and I cannot stop that tape until it's done. And it's a really horrible feeling to have thoughts like that coming into your mind. Or I'll have, um, I read a book last year where she, one of her experiences is exactly the experience that I had, and it really chilled me and just kind of left me sort of in a weird place um, emotionally. Um, she would talk about how she would imagine dropping her baby out of windows on accident. Like it would, she'd trip and fall. And I literally, every single time we go up an incline or around a corner, I envision the car going off the cliff or I envision myself tripping if I walk up with my kids. So these are the things I was struggling with as a baby, seeing, seeing them die because of something I did in my brain, I would see these horrible visions. And I'm hoping this isn't triggering anybody it is i'm very sorry uh, maybe just fast forward a little but this was how my postpartum depression and anxiety really began to um take over these intrusive thoughts these anxious thoughts this constant spiral of irritation and anxiety and i did have to seek help with that to get that to stop and a lot of it was helped by other things but I think it's super, super important that we realize that this is happening to way more people than the statistics are saying it's happening to. And it's happening to some of you right now. And in the last year, I have had those intrusive thoughts come back again. And I'm starting to pursue a possible look at trying to see if I, if the type of anxiety that I am plagued with from time to time might be related to some obsessive compulsive, you know, that has a lot to do with intrusive thoughts. So I'm working on it. And I'm telling you guys all of this to tell you that you can be in a relationship with God that is real and genuine, genuine, that's a word. We're going to make it a word after tonight. A genuinely um, seeking, striving relationship with God and have these things happen inside of your brain due to a disruption of brain chemicals due to a disruption in the biophysical makeup of your body. This doesn't change who you are in Christ, and it doesn't change what you're doing with him. And I think that needs to be said for those of us that are in positions of leadership who struggle. Just because you know your stuff and you know what you need to do does not mean that you, do, that you are perfect or that you, have, you, that you can't be weak and vulnerable and struggle and talk about it. And that's very hard for us and for some people to do is to open up that door of vulnerability and say, I'm trying to follow Jesus and I'm also having really crazy thoughts going through my head sometimes that aren't there. They, I don't feel like they come from me. I don't feel like they're from me. They just happen. And it's, they're disturbing and they're disrupting and they're intrusive. And it affects the way I feel about myself and my family 
I want to be the first one to say, I experienced that. I, I experienced that. At times, it's much worse than others. At times, it doesn't happen at all. But this has been my experience as, as a parent since I began this parenting journey and all of the changes, emotional and physical, that go along with that. So for me, mental health looks like an ongoing and ebb and flow struggle with anxiety and intrusive thoughts. And I want to just say those words out loud today and name that and say, and it's okay, I'm still the person that I am. And I'm still working and moving towards union with God, which is what he wants for all of us. So that's my story with mental health. Well, and I think it's interesting you talked about the car because that's like always like been my thing. Like I'm going to go off the cliff and, but it's always, water's always involved. I'm going to be like stuck in the car and not be able to break the window to get out from the river or whatever I fall into. But it's always like over the bridge and into the water. Yeah, bridges are still really hard and, for me. Overpasses. So yeah. I don't have the vivid thoughts oh, on it, but I have, detailed. but I definitely oh, yeah. have those thoughts of like, if I were in an accident, would anybody care? That's what, oh, that's, yeah. that's how it affects me. Like yeah. those sort of things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, I have, you know, I have some of the things that you talked about, Lauren, throughout my life. I and mean, even before as a mom, like the car thing has always been just a thing. Like I'm going to go off a bridge and the water is involved. It doesn't matter. But, um, Water yeah. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> but, <laughs> and, but um a fear of bodies in water too so. yeah but then like the whole the, you know there's a time in my life where impulse control was an issue mm -hmm. and so and a lot of people don't know that you know addiction ends up being part of mental health too because mm -hmm. oh my life is doing this or my life is doing that and this is what ended up going for in my case anyways it was dopamines like searching and this gave me the most dopamine at the time and i just continued doing those things mm -hmm. and then but it doesn't last forever and so you have to like increase whatever it was mm -hmm. and then and so addiction can play into mental health also you know i'm i'm really grateful that i had some friends in my life that helped me break that cycle whether they know they helped me break it or not but it was some of the things that they said or did that made me decide to like oh this is not healthy but I think sometimes when we see, you know, I we, family members or things like that that have addiction issues, a lot of times we can get kind of upset with that, and but we forget sometimes that it is a men sometimes it's linked almost to mental, always yeah, mm -hmm. related to some mental sort of health, mental health, right? Almost yeah. always those in intrinsically linked, and addiction can be anything from smoking, <laughs> chain smoking, all mm -hmm. the way to you know drugs or pornography, pornography. Yeah. yeah that seems to be the big one that's you know coming up a lot well for me mental illness has been a big part of my like my upbringing in a way <laughs> and growing up like in a you know i'm not going to go into all my family's history that's not my story to tell um but whether diagnosed or not like we've dealt with i know that they're I've been directly impacted by um, anxiety, bipolar, borderline personality, addiction, narcissism, schizophrenia, PTSD, ADHD, dementia, all these different things. And it was, in my family, um, it seemed to be that mental illness really, there was that stigma for sure. And because of that, um, my dad did not get the help that he needed and he was not diagnosed with the actual illness that he had that he died from, which was frontotemporal dementia, until shortly before he died, just a few months before he died. It was misdiagnosed as MS and bipolar disorder. And maybe he had those along with it. Um, but because he was so against getting help for those yeah. things that he had going on, he didn't get he didn't get himself like seen. He didn't go and get any help. And um, so we had, you know, between him and then other members of my family, like there was a lot of um, that, well, you, you can do it on your own. And I was always, you know, I was told that in my family, I was the quote unquote normal one. Um, and it's a heavy burden. It is. It is middle child. It's lovely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Same club. The good one. <laughs> And so, um, you know, I did like, I, you know, 
one of those people that does kind of walk on the straight and narrow for the most part, you know. Just this last year, I finally was like, I need to to get some things addressed. I've noticed like for years, I've joked that I have cleaning ADHD. Um, and my husband's like, yeah, yeah, you think. Um, and then it's slowly been my realization that it's not just with cleaning, it's with everything. Um, and seeing that like that is something that's been affecting me for my entire life. And it's not just like in certain aspects of my life that it's really hindered me, but it's like gotten to a point with mother, like in, with all the different things in a family life, it had gotten to a point where I just couldn't, couldn't function really. And so about a year ago, a little over a year ago, um, we finally went to counseling psychiatrist and got that ADHD diagnosis. A lot of that for me is kind of like with Lauren, not with, um, postpartum depression, but it really showed up with like it within the pregnancy um, with, especially with my fourth and then now with my fifth, um, a lot of issues with that. Um, but a, a friend of mine pointed out when I was, I was, I was a crazy kid when I was really little and we, um, I've mentioned things on the podcast before about when I kicked a nun and stuff like that. <laughs> and my mom always said, well, in second grade, he straightened out. Well, if this friend of mine pointed out, she's like, it probably was in second grade, your ADHD internalized. And like looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because when you think, you know, especially with girls with ADHD, it's um, a lot of times it's not seen as that hyperactivity, doing all the things like, you know, having as much trouble in school. I never had problems with academics. It was never that wasn't an issue for me. I wasn't, you know, I was the kid who was staying inside reading. I wasn't out running around needing all the energy, except for, you know, before second grade. (laughs) But everything was in my mind. Um, I very, um, perfectionist, like very much, I, I joke that I was a procrastinating perfectionist because I would wait until the last minute to do things and then, <laughs> and then focus, hyper-focus on one little thing until it was perfect. And then I could go on. And, um, as I learned about ADHD more with my oldest, more and more as even though he is you know a male and so it presents itself in a different way for him and it can be you know male and female like they can both present themselves in these like it's just typically um with females like it's different but uh, for me like I'm, the more i learn about it and the more i'm reading things to learn about him i'm like oh this is what is going on in my brain and um and so for for me, I've been able to like sit, I've tried um, some different supplements, um, but for me, like actually have some prescription medication, finding a, a, a good um, cocktail, <laughs> I guess that worked yeah, for yeah, me, yeah. Um, was what um, has helped in it. So like with pregnancy, it's like turned it upside down again and had to rework things. And then I've had the added like, hormonal aspect of it and it was just um two weeks ago um I was I admitted to my husband that I was pretty sure I was depressed Mm -hmm. um and I had had like I was look every time I went into my doctor it was like asking the question of you know what we have like a certain number of questions you have to you answer about like the mental health check and it was like one of the questions is do you enjoy the things that you used to do like, you still enjoy it. And I'm like, like, I mean, I guess, but I don't really do a whole lot. So I wasn't really thinking about it. But then after the, and then all the questions was like, you have a lot of markers here of these different things. So I was like, yeah, but they're all pregnancy things. And so, but it wasn't until after I'm, and I was having just several days of just the type of depression where you really think it's depression, like it's sadness, but I wasn't recognizing it as that crying all the time. I was like, oh, I'm just hormonal. Um, but just everything was awful in my brain. But I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know, it's not that I'm not enjoying the things I used to do the same way. It's that I can't do anything. Like I never enjoyed cooking and cleaning much. Like I do it, but it's never been something I really enjoy. But I'm at a point where I like, I dread it. Like I just don't want, I can't get myself to do these things, even though the things that I was fine with doing before. Um, and so that sort of thing was like, you know, I think I, I think I'm actually in a state of depression now. And so I was able to, um, since I went on medication for that, and I'm starting back with counseling again, hopefully. 
um, <laughs> working on that. Um, it's not easy to get in. You know, um, that's another issue. This, yeah, it's a layered issue of treatment and stuff. Yeah, and insurance covering costs. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, yeah. yeah. But it's really been night and day for me, like, in since recognizing and recognizing it was big for me and admitting it to my husband and him working with me and saying, like, on certain days when I'm like, this is, I just, I can't, my, I can't do it today. Hmm. I need you to take that extra for me. And he's doing the same, like, he has days that he has the same thing and being able to communicate that. And thankfully I have that. I know not everybody does. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's been my current experience and a little bit of past, but it's definitely taken me a while to get here just because of there's that, there's always been that you are the, you know, you're that, you're, you're the normal one, the middle one, the, the one who's, you know, uh, strong, like who gets by, like I didn't do any kind of counseling after my dad died. Like I, you know, I was okay with the, like I went through the grief. I never addressed that until really this last year. Um, some of the things that I never really talked about before until I went into counseling and things, other things within my family. And, um, it's hard because like, especially if you don't have that support system, Mm -hmm. um, or you're afraid, like it take, it took me a long time to admit, like, I do need to take these steps. And I didn't want to, like, it was like, it was forced almost Mm -hmm. because it was like, well, I was, I'm okay enough. That's the thing. I'd love to talk more about that. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that's something we need to really talk about. As mothers, I think this is a huge spectrum. You know, I think most of us just assume that the not okay that we're feeling is just part of being a mom or a busy wife or whatever it is that you're doing or a busy woman. You just assume that, well, this is just how it is. I'm okay enough. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous sometimes. Mm-hmm. And maybe not always, because like I said, I think this is a spectrum. I think there is not probably no one who is never had a thought of I'm going to drive off this cliff or like I'm going to do something. I'm going to drop my baby. I think that's actually in the range of normal, especially for (laughs) new parents. Um, And so when we say that these were having these thoughts, we're not talking about general random thoughts that just sort of pop in and out of motherhood. When it becomes a problem is when these thoughts become pervasive and they keep you from enjoying the things that you did before. For me, like when you said I'm okay enough, that Mm. is such that is such like a marker because we really will push ourselves beyond the point of breaking for the sake of our families and our kids. And then we get, that can lead to a place where you break and it's not easy to fix. Yeah. And so when we say it's a spectrum, we're not trying to, to like create this thing where if you've ever had an intrusive thought or you've ever thought it's something depressive that you're depressed and you need to go get help. That's, what we're trying to say is it became a, we began to recognize in ourselves that these things were not normal levels of these, these intense feelings, not normal. It was, it was in, it was doing something that was keeping us from being able to handle it. Like for me, things that I could handle, like for example, in a mental health episode, like before the episode, something would occur and I could handle it. It was frustrating and irritating and it made me kind of sad, but I could handle it inside of this, the episode or whatever, the spiral, it literally breaks you in two and you can't move past it. Or you like, you're saying you can't do that thing. Like you literally cannot make yourself deal with the situation. You can't get over how it makes you feel. It turns over and over in your head. These are signs that it may be time to look at some sort of management if every day is a dread for you because of this one situation in your life, you may be dealing with a crisis, a mental health situation. If a while ago you were okay with that and all of a sudden you can't push through. Sometimes those things compound because I was listening to like, one of the things that I have realized more recently about myself and looking past, like back in my past, like this has been like a thing since I was even a kid is, you know, rejection sensitivity disorder like if my friends like did something together but didn't include me oh they must hate me i must have done something wrong what did i do wrong what did i do mm-hmm. and and usually it was nothing that they just were playing together you know like and but i would have internalized it or you know my dad would go somewhere and 
he didn't ask me to go and I was hurt because my mom would say something to him and then he'd ask me and then I would refuse to go because now he, he should have asked me before. And, and then I felt bad still because I didn't go and I was sad. And then I was like, Oh, I should have gone. And then that would work over in my head over and over and over again. Why didn't I go? Why did I, was I stubborn? Why didn't I just do this thing? But then like, yeah. <laughs> so later on in life though, I was an adult, this like, that it manifested in a work situation mm. where a coworker had only heard part of a conversation that I and several other teachers were having with the principal. And it was about schedules. And this person took back what she heard to other teachers. Mm. Now, what she didn't know is that I and several of the other teachers are actually fighting very hard for their plan time. But all she heard was the part about their plan time getting shortened. And she didn't wait around for us to say, oh, we don't really want to shorten their plan time. Is there some way we can work around this? But she didn't stay for that. But it didn't matter at that point because it had already gone through. And I was bullied along with another teacher that was in that meeting for the whole rest of the school year. Mm. So much so I cried in the shower every morning oh, and didn't yeah. want to go. I love teaching guys. It is, it is like I, ever since I decided to become an educator, like I even have a quote somewhere in my house where it's, it says you know, vocation or teaching is as sacred as of a vocation as the priesthood. And it like goes mm-hmm. through like how this is, it's a calling that, you know, mm-hmm. God calls you to. I did not want to go. Like I was sobbing every morning in the shower because I didn't want to face these people. And it, it was really hard. It was a whole year of just, it was hell. Like I, I felt like I was living in like living hell. And then the next school year started and we had a new principal and I was like, well, maybe things will be a little bit better. And, um, but I was also pregnant that year and had missed part of the year and came back and there were some weird things and, and I just kind of felt the same thing again. And so I ended up quitting that job, a job I loved. I had that job for, it was probably my longest job I've had. And then um, we were thinking about homeschooling, but then I was asked to teach at another school. And I went there and things were going great. And I was loving my position and I was loving my students and I was just I was loving it. Well, a student missed interpreted something that was said not it wasn't even by me it was by somebody else another adult in the room but went home and said my teacher said to their parents and those parents went to the people uh, my superiors but I didn't even know for months but these but these people were talking about it the whole time and then people started treating me differently or so I thought but what that did is it triggered all that PTSD from my bullying back at my previous school and I ended up leaving that job. And I actually ended up leaving that parish. I am mm-hmm. to be I am quite honest because it was it affected my church life too. Mm-hmm. But looking back, it was it's this whole like it's a pattern of I can't deal with people not being happy with me or lying about me behind my back. And but it's been something that I've been dealing with since I was a kid. And but it's just a finally but it's compounded as I've gotten older because it's not something that I really like knew what was happening until like nowadays thing it's still there's still the stigma but I feel like the stigma is slowly being chipped away at and so people are talking a little bit more about these things and I was like oh I didn't even know that was a thing I just thought I was weird and just thought that everybody was mad at me all the time and I've had people tell me too that they were like upset with me which I actually prefer if you're mad at me or if I did something that upset you please just tell me because then I don't have to sit there and obsess like why is this person not talking to me or why what did I do because half the time I probably didn't even know I did it to be quite honest and so like it's been kind of interesting to see that like because I had never even heard of rejection sensitivity disorder until like the last couple of years and I'm like oh it's like all of a sudden like oh I'm like oh okay and like so it for was, you, it was a big burden lifted off my shoulders yeah, have, that like I've had. I haven't heard of it either. I just looked up and it's linked very much to ADHD. So I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, this sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so these particular situations for someone else who does not have this disorder would have been uncomfortable, would have been annoying. 
but it would, but it took you down to, to the bones in your spirit because of what that was. And I think that's really important is that we really need to take a look at what are these things that are undoing us? Why, why is this so difficult for me? There had, there may be something behind that. Yeah. Cause I just, yeah, that was the worst case scenario for someone with a disorder for those things to happen twice. Well, and when I was younger, like those were those things that like you were saying, like I could work through, like, you know, eventually I get over them and just move on or whatever. I mean, they still bothered me and I worked them over my head, but not to the point where, uh, to a breaking point. But that breaking point I did have did happen to happen after I'd had postpartum depression with mm-hmm. the pregnancy before the one I was having during that time. So I think that's also important that sometimes other mental health things yeah. can make Very mental health things that you're already dealing with that maybe you were able to cope with or you had your own you know, ways to get around it. You know, we, we have these survival tactics that we come yeah, up coping with. Coping skills. Coping skills. Suddenly they stop yeah. working. Yeah. yeah. Because we have other things that are infer- interfering and yeah. You get overwhelmed and then you can't do it anymore. And so I think most people, if not everybody has dealt with mental health issues and I'm definitely one of those people, obviously then um, I've dealt with it in different ways. Back in college, I, uh, I do remember it being for me like a cycle related thing. Like every time I would, you know, get near my cycle, I would get extremely, I don't know, just ir- irrationally emotional about everything and I would really doubt myself all the time and I would get really really depressed and at that time I was also very very introverted much more introverted than I am now and so I and I had a really hard time making any friends or anything and I um, was very self-conscious and so I think that just like I would it would magnify during that time but then when I started realizing like oh, this is actually what it is. And I knew that it was coming. It was something that was easier to handle. I don't know if y'all have experienced that kind of thing. So I've dealt with, I guess, depression. I've dealt with that kind of anxiety. Um, Most recently with the depression, with being pregnant, um, I was on some medication for anxiety medication. And um, it just, like, the prescription ran out. And uh, I decided not to get any more. And... um, for the first two weeks, I was like, oh, maybe actually I'm okay and I don't need it. And it's great. And then it just like whoa, exploded all over the place. And I cried more in that two weeks than I've cried in the last two years. And I know we, we have here people we have that thread. And so you guys, you guys saw it. You guys heard it. Um, texting everybody and being like, my life sucks. I'm awful. And uh I was having a really hard time with that. And I was worried that I couldn't get back on the medication that I was on because I was told by my PCP when I got on it that um, that you can't start it when you're pregnant. You have to start it prior to being pregnant. And so I was a bit concerned. I was off for like a month. And mm-hmm. so when I, when I finally went to my um, OB's office, I asked her about it. And her opinion is if like untreated anxiety and depression yep is much worse yes. for pregnant women Absolutely. in particular, but everybody really then, um, you know, getting on. And she said that there was no, part of me is it, one of the medicine, the medicine I'm on is one of the ones that they do recommend for women who are pregnant because yeah. it has such a low risk of anything happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so super grateful about that. And I got back on it and I'm feeling much better. I did cry today a lot because I was making my daughter's birthday cake and I messed up a lot. <laughs> my kids were so sweet my daughter came up to me and she was like she was like mommy I don't need a cake it's not about the cake and it's not about the presents it's just about being together as a family and spending time together that's all I don't even need a cake your kids are so much better than mine (laughs) 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 yeah they're like angels mine would have been like (laughs) stop crying mom and make the cake just go buy one just get it Walmart that's my my husband about it when he got home we were about to head out to do like a birthday thing for her and I was telling him about it I was like isn't that just so mm-hmm. sweet and he's like heart's melting and my my oldest son walks in and he's like what are you guys talking about and I was like oh I was just telling dad about how sweet and, and helpful you guys are and and all of that he goes oh are we gonna leave now because it's taking forever <laughs> <laughs> 
There it is. There yeah. it is. <laughs> it's like they switch up a dime. Yeah. I love it. But I do love that point that you made. Like, it's not like your kids and stuff were, like, they were being really helpful, but it's us. Like, we're, like we get mm-hmm. in our head mm-hmm. that, and I think that's a mom thing a lot of times, too. And I will, like, it's, I mean, everybody does this. It's a woman thing, I think, too. Mm-hmm. And I know I know my husband has the same issue as well at times. So it's every, it's a person thing mm-hmm. that you, you get this idea of how something should be. And then when something like doesn't work out, uh-huh. it's just like the world is over. Yeah. And especially when you have anxiety and depression mm-hmm. or like, yeah. or any of these other things, it like feels. It and a fetus. Right. And a fetus. Yeah. <laughs> a fetus making me crazy. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. <laughs> these hormones, girl. Uh-huh. Well, and it is but, like, it is something like I got stuck in my head and I was like, I can't do anything. Like I said that out loud in front of my kids. I can't do anything. Like I sounded like a, you know, a teenage kid or whatever, but that's what are my headspace. I was just all focused on me because I looked mm-hmm. at lion cake ideas on my phone. That's what she wanted. And I was like, I know I'm not going to be able to make it exactly like this, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to be able to make it close. And from the get go, <laughs> it was not. Although if next I, time you buy a th- like a two dollar toy and stick it on top and then make it a toy, <laughs> all right? Like my kids, like they ask for that. I'm like, <laughs> that's my right. brand. That's Someone else yeah. make it, and I'll just. Oh, I just do a sheet. Like, if I make it, it's like a sheet cake, and then it's like, yeah. Well, my mom and my sister do cakes, and I try to. But you, um, I have seen some that you have done that were really cute. Well, I'll show up. I'll show up with a show. I can't show you viewers, and I'm sorry, but I'll show you guys what the cake looked like. Listeners. My pop, my grandma, my dad. There's no viewers. No, sorry, listeners. Unless they're on YouTube and they're just watching our sound waves go across. Yeah, there we go. See, Tammy? Sorry. Yeah, fact checked. But, um, yeah, my dad, my dad said it looked like Tony the Tiger. So I was like, all right, cool. Oh, good. But, you are so good. Yeah. Okay. So it looked like a lion. It just looked like a lion that got the crap thing out of the lion. A liger. A liger. Napoleon Dynamite reference. There you go. But, all right, so back to the topic at hand, because I have veered way off course. Um, As we do. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, dealt with that most recently. But then I think for me, like the longest term mental illness that I've dealt with that I just recently this year figured out what it actually was. I've dealt with since I was about 16 years old and I didn't know what it was for the longest time. I just thought kind of I was going crazy in my head. And um, I found out this year that I have OCD and it's it can be I, I had no idea what it was because I've always heard of OCD being like the, you know, you want to line things up and keep things super organized or you don't want to touch germs and things like that, which it absolutely can like switch so many times. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah like, but that's not always. Yeah. Like the number thing and stuff, but it's not always like that. It can actually be a plethora of things. And I think a lot of people go through it, not knowing what it is and thinking that they're just absolutely crazy. And in some cases, even terrible people, because some of the obsessions can be right. very, very dark. Because I did go to, when I was in college, I went to a counselor and talked to her about it. And I told her, you know, this is what's going on with me. I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, fix me. Right? Like, I'm here for you to fix me. And she was really nice. And she was really great. And she allowed me to talk. And she didn't judge me. And I was really grateful for that. But um, it was just talk therapy. Mm -hmm. And that's not what you need when you have OCD at all. And she, from what I can gather, like, looking back, she did not have any... um, experience with OCD and so she didn't know how to diagnose it and then after I talked to her I don't remember how much longer but I went to somebody else and talked to her but I only went to like one appointment with her and again she wasn't like super judgmental towards me or anything like that but she didn't seem to have any kind of clear understanding as to diagnosis so I just kind of dealt with it and I figured this was my life like dealing with these these constant obsessions and um and it wasn't until this year when it got pretty bad and I actually got pretty suicidal that um, I decided I had to go again and talk to somebody. And uh, that's when I spoke with um, the new counselor. Like, I think I started Googling things mm-hmm. and I was like, OK, like, I think back in college, I had the Internet at school, but I didn't have the Internet on my phone. <laughs> and I just never really thought, I think, mm-hmm. to like look it up or anything. Mm-hmm. It really, it just never it crossed my mind. It wasn't a thing that we did. I guess not, yeah. Yeah, we're, I'm old. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but now I decided to finally look it up, and I was like, you know, 
obsessing about this stuff. Like, what the heck is wrong with me? And I started pulling up these, like, videos and people talking about their stories about OCD and these clinicians talking about what it was. And I was like, holy crap, this is me. Mm -hmm. Because it can be, like, OCD can be something that you, um, it's a very outward thing. Like, you know, you're constantly moving your fingers or whatever. And that's one of my things. It's been since I was 14, 15, something like that. Is, you know, I, if I touch a finger in a certain way or if I, my tongue touches my tooth in a certain way, I have to do it a certain number of times or not even necessarily a certain number of times, but like an even number of times, which gets really annoying because if there's one very specific spot that you touch on your finger and on the table and then you go to do it again, but you do it slightly off center and then you have to do those both that way. But I've been learning not to do that <laughs> anymore. But um, so it can be an outward thing. But then there's also something called pure OCD. And that's when the obsessions and the compulsions are in your mind. Or at least mostly in your mind. So nobody knows what's going on. It's all in your head. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that, again, it can be a wide, what I learned, what is like a wide variety of things. It can be obsessions about like your sexual orientation. Um, like you have a thought about a woman being attractive. Like I'm a woman. I see a woman. I think, wow, you know, she's really hot. Oh my gosh. I thought that she was hot. Does that mean that I'm a lesbian or bisexual? And for, for an average person, like those thoughts just go, come and they go, no. And then they move on with their life. <laughs> but for somebody with OCD, it sticks. Mm -hmm. And it's some kind of chemical thing in the brain or whatever, but it sticks. And then you just obsess and it just, it's constant. And then you start doing these compulsions to try to make yourself feel better. Like, oh no, I couldn't possibly, but you're arguing with yourself. So you're making your brain believe that it's something that's really important. So then your brain continually, it's just a constant over and over and over again. But it can be that. It can actually be about pedophilia, mm -hmm. having thoughts about children, and you don't know why, and that makes you go, what the heck is wrong with me? I'm disgusting. Um, it can be hot thoughts about hurting yourself, hurting other people, you know, that, you know, you could have a thing where um, you're worried that um, by you doing something, it's going to create some kind of a domino effect and somebody you love is going to get hurt. So anyways, it's just, it's very, very irrational. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, except to the person who's dealing with it. And to that person, I'm sorry. To no, go ahead. But to that person, it feels like the absolute supreme reality. Yes. And everyone else is wrong. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's all on you. And mm -hmm. if you screw up and you move in one direction, everyone around you will uh -huh. suffer. Yeah, exactly. Really yeah. Hard. And it's hard because it's, it's hard when... And I think this goes with every, with any kind of mental illness, but with my personal experience specifically with OCD is like your brain, your mind, like you are your own worst enemy, mm -hmm. but you can't escape. Right. Like you can't escape yourself. Right. And so I have no doubt that, and I, and I talk so in depth about this part because I did have suicidal ideations about mm -hmm. this more than once in my life. And, um, I have no doubt that there are probably people out there who have killed themselves because or come close to it because they've dealt with these types of thoughts and they wondered what the heck is wrong with me, but they don't realize this is OCD. This is something that when you obsess and obsess and obsess and then you have compulsions, whether external or internal, to try to make yourself feel better. You're trying to constantly reassure yourself that you're not a bad person or that you're not responsible for these bad things happening or whatever, that everything's going to be okay. When you're doing that, like you're you're reinforcing those things in your head. When you're asking people for reassurance, you're actually reinforcing those thoughts so that actually your brain latches onto them because it's a fear-based disorder, mm. whatever you fear. And I, I learned that with mine is that I would be like, okay, well, this thing happened. Well, as long as I don't think about this thing, then you know I'm okay. And then everything's going to be okay. But then inevitably I would start thinking about this thing. Well, as long as this next step didn't happen, then I was going to be okay. Cause that's what I fear. And then this next thing would happen and I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I must be, you know, going mad. I must be this bad person or this, you know, responsible for these terrible things or whatever. <laughs> Pardon me. And so I say all this to say that if anybody out there is dealing with this type of thing where you have a constant, this obsession that you're dealing with throughout the day and it's interfering with your life and it's things that go against, either go against your moral code 
or um, just things that, again, are like those obsessions and stuff that are interfering, again, with your daily life, then, you know, looking into a clinician who deals specifically with OCD is a a game changer. Um, You mentioned that you had gone to somebody who was like the wrong kind of therapist or something. So was there a specific, like I know you said a clinician that specifically deals with OCD. Is there something for somebody to be looking for in particular um, to find that? Um, really just Googling and okay. finding somebody, you know, just looking for clinicians and then looking up, like I found online, um, you know, people's, I don't know if you call them like a biography or whatever, mm-hmm. detailing like what type of, um, therapy that they are experienced in so dealing with you know family therapy or you know whatever right (laughs) because um cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the things that's important for ocd and then sometimes new rhythms mm -hmm, yeah learning how to disrupt that in the brain disrupting the thought yeah because all the things that you think will help ocd and that you try actually make it far worse. <laughs> so it's not the normal things that you would you know, would normally. That was just do. what was recommended for me. That's why I was wondering like what specific like is. Oh, okay. Just told me like with my ADHD and the other things that I go through. She was like, you need to see somebody who specializes in CBT. I couldn't remember yeah. what it was called because uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. who I saw had been seeing. She did more the talk therapy, yeah. which was great for the other time being. But I need yeah. a. But uh, but yeah, so. Yeah, it's those. Those are really the main things that I've ever dealt with. Um, I've definitely dealt with also postpartum, and I think that's part of the reason why I cried so much in the last like two weeks prior to now. <laughs> it's because I think my with every pregnancy, like my postpartum starts a bit earlier, mm-hmm. and uh, so got back on the medicine and you know feeling actually pretty good now. I don't cry nearly as much. I, I know that's my thing. Is like I hate it. At the same time, I hate it. I'm so grateful for it, but I hate that I have to be on medicine. Because, like, in my mind, mm-hmm. I still have that stigma yeah. attached to it. Like, I yeah. want to do this by myself. But I think God's, like, because I was talking I was talking to somebody about this. And I was, like, um, you know, I know that I want to rely on God. I know that I want him to be my medicine. So, like, when is it appropriate? Like, I don't understand when it's appropriate to have him as your main lean-to. I don't know if that's the right term. It's a random term. But, like, the main one that you lean on um, versus, like, going on medicine because it seems like that's, like, putting medicine above God or, like, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, you're leaning on that. I think that's that. where a lot of people are, and I think that's something we got to talk about. Mm. Well, I think we, and we've talked about in previous podcasts that God puts people in our life to help us. Like, he works through them. So, like, if you're be- going to look for a counselor or, or somebody who is going to prescribe you medication, that could be God's way of saying Mm-hmm. Here's some way that can help you. Oh, yeah. So, like, to look yeah. at it from a perspective of um, the way the body is functioning and malfunctioning right. is usually a series of uh, interruptions of chemicals and hormones, oh. almost everything related to that. So, if I were on antibiotics, you know, for pneumonia, it's not that I'm not relying on God, not relying on God to heal me. I'm just using the chemicals that will yeah. right the ship yeah. Yeah. so that I can feel at my optimum to be able to handle things. Well, and I I learned recently too, like in that discussion, um, I learned recently that for me, it's a humility thing Mm. because my pride tells me I need to be able to do this without medication. I need to be able to handle this without it. And, you know, I need to lean on God, right? I'm I'm not doing good enough, you know, Mm. for it. But I think I think in a way, like, it's a way of God being like, you know what? Like, no, you can't do it by yourself. And yes, I'm here for you, but I'm actually working in a natural means here. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you guys are talking about, because I've, I've seen other people. It's been surprising how um, how much recently I've seen, like, on some of the Facebook groups I've been in, women saying, I'm dealing with OCD or I'm dealing with these intrusive thoughts. I don't know how to deal with this. Um, you know, somebody help me. And I'm like, oh, I have experience in this. And so I just say, you know, find a therapist, you know, that's number one, you know, and kind of just a general, I don't want to like tell them everything because I'm like, you know, I'm not your counselor. You mm-hmm. need to do this. But here's kind of general what I know to be true about it. <laughs> and I did that on one post and a woman responded and she said that she thought it was like basically shame on all of the people who were responding 
telling her to like seek therapy and maybe get medicine if she needs it or whatever, because we were leaving out God that all she needed to do was pray and that that would, she would basically be able to pray the intrusive thoughts away. And I was like, okay. You clearly never dealt with OCD. Yeah. And I I saw it and I was like, you know, and I responded to her and I was like, you were absolutely right. Bring God into it. I didn't say that. And you were absolutely right. God should be a part of this. But I prayed for years for God to take this away. I begged and begged him. and I did not understand why he wouldn't take it away from me. Mm. And I suffered so much with it. And so, but he, and then, and then I got into counseling and I found out about what OCD is and I found out about cognitive behavioral therapy and I found out about the medication that can help me. And like God works through natural means a lot, a lot of the time. builds our nature. Grace builds our nature. Yeah. Like we are natural people. Like we are people who are born into a a physical world. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, I think most of the time he uses natural means to help Mm -hmm. us. And so um, I was like, everybody who's responding here that has any experience with this are responding in this way because they've personally dealt with it. And they probably tried and tried and tried to pray it away and begged and begged and begged. And God, for whatever reason, didn't take it away. But I think that's also a lesson in learning how to trust God when he doesn't answer your prayer the way that you want him to. When you're suffering and you don't understand why. And he's still not doing what you want him to do in the way that you want him to do it. You know, like for me, like I, I knew before the third time that I um, went to counseling this last time that I actually got the help that I needed. I knew that I needed to go and see a counselor again, but I was afraid to. Like it didn't help before. And I'm afraid of X, Y and Z when I talk to this person. And so I'm just not going to do it. But I, I, I felt that push. I felt that call. And I was like, kept kind of be like, you know. No, that's not, that's not a call from God because that's irrational, even though it was the most rational thing. Anyways, like, I think really God called me to that and he was like, this is what you need. Mm -hmm. And so I'm incredibly grateful. Like God was in the process the entire time. God just, just using natural means does not negate God's presence in, in the process. And from the beginning of our, this covenant relationship with God, God moves and communicates and heals through natural means too, Mm -hmm. through the earth, through communicating with fire, with Jesus himself, you know, to just skip, you know, lots of years of salvation history, but coming down to earth to wear flesh, to be crucified on a cross, to walk with us in our suffering and to himself suffer in the way that we also suffer, the rejection, the isolation, fear. You know, because he loves us, all of those means have value. All of those natural things have value. Our flesh, our suffering, our wounding, it's precious to him because he inhabits it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and I think that's what you, you were saying so beautifully. God was with this. God was in this process the whole time. He literally led me to the guy that he wanted me to see. Like, that is so important, like, that we, we realize that it's that's just beautiful. And we've talked about, um, in many episodes before, identity. Mm-hmm. And I think, for me, like, I struggle with, um, as I'm learning more about ADHD and anxiety and all those things and how it affect is affecting me personally, I know I, I tend to get trapped in a, well, this is who I am. But that's not it. It's like yeah, God doesn't want us to be trapped by this, you know, by this thought that we're broken. You know, because yeah. I mean, we are all broken, and our identity is in Him. But that doesn't mean that being, you know, that ha- like that my ADHD is. It means I need to be fixed right. or anything like that either. Yes, medication helps me to to focus better, to um, handle the, you know, my anxiety and. To handle, um, for me, a lot of it is the uh, emotional dysregulation, which um, therapy really helps me more with, and breaks for my children help me more with it. <laughs> um, but seeing that, like, trying to view myself, view that this is not who I am. Mm-hmm. Like, it is part of who I am, but it's mm-hmm. not who I am. It is a part of God's work in you, too. I think it's important that we say that out loud, that you are not broken. This is a part of the story that God is telling um, and his love in the way that he's reaching out and loving you personally and individually 
And I, I sometimes wonder if God allows, you know, this in order for us to see that this is not a solo run that we're on. We need each other and we need to help each other and we need to let him heal us too. And let's talk about that because let's talk about the spiritual aspect of this. Okay. So one thing that people come up, you know, it, it could vary if you could be depressed and it could have a spiritual root. It very much could be spiritual in nature. It could be desolation or even in a worst case scenario, much more rarely oppression from the enemy or spiritual warfare. Um, that is a thing that can happen. And so if there's, if, if it's feeling spiritual in nature or it's linked spiritually to things that are going on in your life spiritually, that's something to explore. But I think that people who are very devout and in deep relationships with God will immediately assume that some of this dysregulation and some of these things are spiritual in nature. And that is backwards. If this is going on and interrupting your life and interfering with your daily tasks, the first step is to make sure it's not physical in nature with your brain or with your, you know, with your chemicals and your hormones inside of you. Um, it can be very dangerous to us to try and pray your way out of depression. It can be very disintegrating to feel so deeply depressed and still be in deep prayer. If those two things are not re really related, do y'all understand mm -hmm. what I'm saying? It can be very, the enemy can even use that to make you more depressed. Well, you're just not praying hard enough or you're not praying right. Or, you know, you're not, you're not doing it right. And that's why you're still sad. And that's why you're still having these thoughts. These are our bodies were meant to work together seamlessly, but the fall ruined that for us. And just like we get sick and just like our bodies dysfunction sometimes or just get kind of on the wrong loop or, you know, our brains can do that too. And that doesn't mean that you're defective or broken. And I think, I just feel like that needs to be said that like, this is a product of being a human being <laughs> in a fallen world. And some people struggle with it more than others. But I, I really believe that most people at some point in their life are going to have some sort of oh, yeah. disruption. And I think that's why we have to remove the stigma. Because this really is a human problem and not a her problem or a she problem or people like that problem or right. I think it's all of us. I think we all go through this and the more we talk about it and the more we bring it to the light and just hash our stories out together. The, I, I mean, I know just listening to you two, I'm seeing stuff and I'm like, okay, I, yeah, that really does make sense. That would, you know, or some of the things that you said about you know, emotional dysregulation and ADHD with women. And I'm thinking of women in my life and in my family who I'm now wondering, you know, could this be an ADHD situation? These symptoms that I'm noticing in some of the women in my family. And so this right here, what just happened between all of us and our listeners is exactly what needs to happen. We need to like pull from each other and, and be like, okay, I didn't think about it like that. Like I didn't think that it could manifest differently in girls than boys. And what should I be looking for there then? Oh, that, that's what I should be looking for. That makes more sense. So. And I, as women, I think we also, like you said, need to remember that our hormones play a big huge part. About, like our emotions, but also our mental health. Because, yeah, yeah they can throw things out of whack every once in a while. <laughs> or more often than every once Especially in a while. And just struggle. when you think you have it in control, they the change. change again. Especially <laughs> if you're having babies every other mm -hmm. year, every couple years, or, you know, because um, your cycles are trying to reboot themselves. And, and especially if you're around, like, I know um, I'm in kind of the stage where my body's starting. I mean, I'm not like an old, old lady or whatever, but, you know, my body's starting <laughs> to... Yeah, well, compared to the other ones, <laughs> Stacey or the Granny's. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm noticing signs that my body is starting to change and wind down in a different direction, you know, than mm. the ramped up fertility and that feeling, you know. <laughs> so I, um, I'm also noticing that with that is coming a lot more um, cyclical issues at different points in my cycle that I've never struggled with before. Um ovulation maker post ovulation week has now become a war zone in my mm -hmm. mind. Mm -hmm. And I'm, 
I I didn't connect it until just recently. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, this is not normal. Any of you going through <laughs> pre-menopause, like pre-perimenopause, yeah, yeah. It, like the mental health that associated with your cycle is a real thing. Like yeah. it really is. Because, like, I mean, I remember talking to you guys about last year. Like, I it took me forever to realize that two days before my cycle. Yeah. I am nuts. Like yeah. I go and off on my kids. I, yeah. you know, and, when, and the thing is, I think it's important for us to remember too, as Catholics, um, cause we go in with these habitual sins to confession. And sometimes mine are a lot about getting upset with my family. But when I look at it, sometimes a lot of that getting upset, it happens within my, like those mm-hmm. times, which is a yeah. mental health issue. So we still yeah, need to take those to confession because we, they, we did it happen. Mm-hmm. But I, I think we also need to, you know, give ourselves a little bit of grace because yeah. when we sit there and go, oh, here I go, going back to Father with the same oh, thing over yeah. and over and over again. Because you're dealing with stuff. Yeah. And we're, you know, we have to remember that, you know, yes, now that we know this, what are we going to do to help it? But sometimes you just... Hormones are hormones, and they're gonna do what they're gonna do. And <laughs> you, have, you have to, and you control, you control yourself as an adult too. But I think it's, I think it's important to realize that sometimes it's not all you. I'm trying to recognize, like, you know, I, it's harder when things are wonky. Yeah. But when you can kind of see like those and be able mm-hmm. to say, okay, well, this is that t- like I yep. do need to take more breaks from my yes. family. I do need to take these to to prevent. Yep this sin yeah. you know yeah and then but my and i wasn't trying to say like this is a past so not you know but, but no but my yeah. point no, was no, it's no, like no, you do that right and then okay i, I know i got but the pattern down and then about two or three months in it changes, it's a changes yeah. and then you're like oh i didn't have that problem i must be must have finally gotten past it and then <laughs> no it happens in the middle of your cycle yeah. instead of mm-hmm. before and so it's like just Looking for patterns. Look, look yeah. for those patterns. Strive, right. to, but to do better. But also know that it's not always you making these all decisions. Awful decisions. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that in, with anything with humans, looking for cycles is where you start. Yes. Looking for patterns with with behavior, any behavior. Yeah. Uh, because our bodies are just that way. Yep. We're cyclical in nature. So, in every we have sleep cycles, we have waking cycles, we have menstrual cycles, like, and men too. So, you know, any time that there's something coming up that's bothering you, looking for those patterns and Mm -hmm. asking for feedback from your family. And then if you know that, like, okay, I feel like I should be committed during these days of the month (laughs) because the stuff that is happening inside of my head is really starting to scare me a little bit and it's frustrating. And it's the dark, the, the jumps are getting way longer and the, and the, the, the darkness is getting way deeper and it's lasting much longer than it was mm-hmm. before. This is when you say to your family, I'm having some struggles around my cycles and I'm feeling like I'm really taking it out on you guys. Mm-hmm. If I tell you that, like, if we can, we talk about when this might be occurring for me. And if I tell you that I'm just having that kind of a day, what could we do to mitigate some things for mom? What could we do? Or, or the husband can step in here too. And, yeah. you know, if you know that that's coming, maybe giving him a warning. Yeah. It's, 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 it's shark week. You can make it yeah. funny, but, yeah. but they'll know if we're, if we're really dialoguing with each other. Right. And also what this does for your daughters, ladies, to be able to, to normalize that and say, Hey, this is normal. Yeah. So that, so you don't need to do anything drastic when you're feeling this way. Because this is going to change soon, and you're going to feel a lot better. Now, like mm-hmm. maybe if we're we homeschool, but like one of the, so that's why or my mind is. But I'm like talking with your family. So when mom feels this way, this is when you're going to watch these educational videos I checked out from the library mm-hmm. because I can't deal with it right this second, and I'd rather you guys be watching these videos that I've picked out. We're still doing school. But I'm not, we're not having to interact as much, which will mitigate me from getting irritated as easily mm-hmm. and blowing up at you. So, and like, or this is not the week yeah. for you to complain silly about your chores. Yeah. Okay. Or whatever mom's triggers are, 
Step yeah. off the gas. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or else you're going to get a, a side of mom that I don't want to be. Exactly. And I'm not saying that you put your sin yeah. on other people, but I think we can work together to help yeah. each other if we're struggling. Well, which is what family is all about is working together to get each other to heaven. Right. Yeah. So like if we say we are this, these I are the things mean right now. Yeah. I don't want to be mean. <laughs> exactly. These are the things that are triggering like, me. Mommy, do you need huh. a snack? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but, but legit, that, but right? legit, that's, that's important. Mm -hmm. Like there's sometimes that my 11 year old is just losing her mind. And mm -hmm. I'm looking at her and I'm like, stop. You need to go eat. We yeah. have, you need to eat. It's my 10 year old. Can we just put a timer for like five minutes and see if this is food related? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, she gets that from me. Yeah. But I feel like if we don't talk about, if we don't normalize just feeling crummy inside, we won't know it's okay to feel crummy inside. Right. And that you don't have to like internalize it, like you were saying, mm -hmm. make it make it that you hate yourself or that right. everyone hates me. And that, that everything is your fault and that you're ruining everybody else's day yes. because you can't, con you're, you're, you can't control Because the storm soul. going on in your and head. And it is a storm. And anyone yeah. who struggles with mental health knows that dark cloud and knows what that feels like when it's sitting on your shoulder. Everyone knows what that feels like mm -hmm. if you've ever struggled with before. And sometimes it can feel like it's going to suffocate you or swallow you whole. And that's legit a real thing that needs to be talked about and normalized so that we can help each other get to heaven, like you said. And I just want to end with this um, quote from St. Pope John Paul II. This is from uh, 1996. It says, whoever suffers from mental illness always bears God's image and likeness in himself, as does every human being. In addition, he always has the inalienable right not only to be considered as an image of God and therefore as a person, but also to be treated as such. I think sometimes we, we feel like we're not or we're less than, but you aren't and we aren't. We're still made in the likeness of God. And, and so capable of imaging him to the world, broken or not. And as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Join us again in two weeks. Until then, may God bless you and may Mary accompany you. Coffee and Catholics is a proud partner of the Smart Catholics Podcast Network. Find new shows to love, meet like-minded Catholics, and join the community at smartcatholics.com. <laughs>